0: ring around the rosie a pocket full of posies ashes ashes
1: ashes. we all all fall down down.
2: To be slick with a Tibetan monk, it, it doesn't
3: exactly work. Welcome back to the first Grime America show of 2014. Uh, we're going to be chatting with David Weatherly. We recorded the interview uh right before Christmas, but um, we're releasing it now, so he's the first of the year. Um, but first, as always, how's it going, Graham?
4: Hey, man, pretty good.
3: Welcome back to the igloo.
4: Thank you. It's great. We've redone the studio here. It looks pretty cool.
3: Yeah, it took a couple days, but we got a little more room. We're a little more comfortable.
4: Not like it's a studio. It's just a room, really, with a couple microphones.
3: Uh, it's a fucking studio, and a desk. bro. It's a studio. <laughs> Look at this shit. It's 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 morphing more and more from a bedroom into an actual studio every day. Like yeah. The the bed from the guest bedroom is now folded. Is now propped up against the wall with books on it an extra foot of space a couple feet of space so it's definitely migrating into a full studio yeah i'm moving in a few months so when when uh uh, when i move house as they say down under uh hopefully we will have a room that's completely devoted to grimerica enterprises
4: it'll be the the grimerica
3: igloo Corp.
4: so how was your uh, experience in the sensory deprivation float tank
3: uh, it was, it was good. I suppose it was good. I had fun about five minutes of it, I think, or maybe 10 minutes. I got the real full effect of, well, not the full effect, but I started to feel the effects where I could actually not really feel myself. I feel my body the rest of the time I could feel myself because they told us to cover if we had any, if we might have any scrapes to cover them with some Vaseline or something so that the salt doesn't get in there. And I totally forgot I had some scrapes on the, on the some cuts on the back of my knee. And I hopped in there, and I was like, holy fuck. And then I was like, ah, I can just deal with it. That so didn't go away? No. And then I just, like, <laughs> suffered for, like, probably five minutes. And I was like, okay, I'll just get out. Get the Vaseline out? Yeah. So I had to get out. I had to dry the back of my knee right off so I could get all the salt shit out of there before I put it on. Dried it off, put on the Vaseline. But my hair was soaked with salt water now. And it's, like, super salt water, not, like, ocean salt water. Oh, yeah, it's there's, like, like more hundreds salt of pounds fucking, of Epsom salts. Yeah. Yeah, there's more salt than water. And fucking... Yeah, so then I hop back. I finally get all this shit done. I hop back in the tank, and, like, it's, like, just as I'm lying back down, all the fucking salt water that had ran down my fucking forehead out of my hair all drips into my eye just as I lie back down. And I was like, ah. And then again, I tried to tough that out for a couple of minutes. So I spent like five more minutes in agony and then I got out, wiped out my eye and then I was good. I was like, okay, now I'm good. I'm just going to fucking, so I started trying to do it. And then I was like floating around the tank and like bouncing off this side. And, about. and then I kind of got into that. Yeah. So I was like pinballing myself around for probably another like 10 or 15 minutes. Did you ever hit
4: it at the top of your head? Like against yeah. the end of the tank? And it feels weird because all your sort of weight is like hitting on the top of your head. So yeah. Darren, Darren and I are talking about a, a sensory deprivation float tank that we went to on the weekend. Uh, there's only one in Alberta, actually. This is the only one. Apparently, they just opened a float house in Vancouver with like four or five of these, and it gets uh, on some days of the week. It's open 24 hours, and it's packed. So, anyways, it's a fully insulated, like salt water, lukewarm, like uh, body temperature bath. And you put earplugs in, and you put the lid down, and you can't see or hear or feel anything in there, basically.
3: And you put uh, earplugs in. Yeah, I said that. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> it would have been so, cool that was some headphones.
4: Yeah, I was thinking about like some Monroe Institute music while you're in there.
3: But you need waterproof headphones.
4: Yeah, they've got those. Do they? Yeah, they sell them at my gym. So. So um, what did you think of that, not being a real avid meditator or anything like that, being alone with your thoughts, not feeling anything but your mind?
3: How was it? Well, like I say, I was playing around after the pain <laughs> and shit. So by that time, and then finally I just stood still. And, and when you're moving around, you can still tell you're in water because you're kind of splashing around. Or not splashing around, but the water's moving, so it's moving up against your body. You can feel it. And then finally when I got sick of that and I just stood still, that's when it finally got to the point that you can't really feel. But then I think, I'm not sure if I almost like dozed off or didn't doze off, but faded out for a minute there, but it seemed like then it was just the alarm went off and it was time to get the fuck out. Wow.
4: So it sounds like it went by pretty quick for you, that
3: hour. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. And I was a little late getting in too, so. As usual. Yeah. Yeah. So for I me, I run on Indian time, buddy.
4: You <laughs> belong in Mexico.
3: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think about it. I think about it.
4: So uh, for me, it was kind of the opposite because I uh, had a good start, like the first, let's say, forty-five minutes or fifty minutes, and then I had to go to the bathroom really bad, and like all I could feel was my heart beat in my in my junk.
3: Your junk, your yeah. junk beat.
4: Yeah. Seriously, just boom, boom, boom. So that last ten minutes was really quite irritating, but uh,
3: that's like when you don't want to get out of bed to go for a piss. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Fuck fuck it.
4: I almost got out. I was like, should I just just leave early? And then, uh, but there was one point there where I was super comfortable, super relaxed, couldn't feel a thing, and I was playing around with trying to sort of like leave my body. Like, can I expand my consciousness out? And I sort of tried to like leave. The room and the city and the country that like, kind of like expand my consciousness, and I did feel like a sensation of uh, expansion, and then and then contraction afterwards. But of course, I I never made it to actually like any astral travel or anything like that.
3: Yeah, it's too bad. It was too last minute for me to track down some good fucking weed brownies or something. Because I, I I I had a couple couple tokes before I went in there, but I would have really, no, really yeah I would have didn't really like, tell me that. Well, I just I assume that would have been a given.
4: Yeah, kind of
3: but. but I really wanted to get a couple of cookies cuz that's a totally different ride.
4: Yeah, but I don't think you want to do that your first time in there. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty weird, don't you think?
3: I don't know, it's just I was we it would have been cool if I would have been all ripped up. Would have been way easier to just sit there and not move and easier to t- detach. Right. Definitely. When I'm all when I smoke, I'm definitely a little more ready to go lucid or whatever you'd call it.
4: Well, I'm going to try that again a few times. It's really close to my house, so.
3: There you go. I think I'm going
4: to make it a part of my
3: regime practice. Once a week? A weekly soak or No, maybe float. every every couple weeks. Bi-weekly float? triweekly weekly float? Quadra-weekly float? Monthly float? Bi-monthly float?
4: Sure, all of the above.
3: All of the above. I like it. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely try it again. Cool. For sure, definitely. And next time, I'd like to be a little more prepared, like I say. and it'd be, I'd like to look into the waterproof headphones. Because I'd definitely like to listen to some... Even even if it was just guided meditation or something. Because I don't have any fucking discipline or training. So when I'm in there, I'm just, like I say, playing games, bouncing around <laughs> off the walls.
4: <laughs> Splashing around yeah. with salt
3: water in your eyes. Yeah, exactly. So, I, But if I was listening to some fucking didgeridoos and shit and some fucking... Lady, or trying to tell me to drift off to La La Land or, you know, like that shit we were listening to at Joey's.
4: Yeah, that might help you that out a little bit. That might
3: help me out, you know, cool. get me started. Then maybe I'll start meditating. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I med- mini-meditate all the time, in it's, my opinion.
4: It's healthy. Yeah, you probably do. So I want to welcome a couple new... Don't we have a new country? Uh, Bulgaria? On Bulgaria.
3: Bulgaria, bitch. When
4: I, when I was traveling through Bulgaria in, in 1990... <laughs> I'll never forget the border guard guy there, because we were driving in our in our old pickup, uh, in our old uh, station wagon, and he sounded like a game show host, like his English, "Oh, welcome to uh, Bulgaria." And he, <laughs> oh, it's just, it was priceless.
3: Nice. So you've been involved, like Have you been to almost every country Grand America's in?
4: No, not even, not even close, buddy. No. No, I'll never be able to now. Why not? Too many.
3: Not sure you can go for it. We'll send you on a Grimera quest. <laughs>
4: That's cool. <laughs> so we got some listener feedback too. Do we? Yeah, don't you?
3: Me? No. I no, don't I, have any.
4: You don't? Okay. I want to say hi to my cousin, my cousin Jeff. He's like one of our biggest uh supporters, listeners now. He's been uh he's been listening to our podcast backwards and he's noticing some trends.
3: Is there is there any secret messages if you listen to if <laughs> no, you listen I'm to just... the audio backwards?
4: Not backwards like that, like just episodes going back instead of forward in time. Oh. Yeah. So I want to talk to him uh, now that he's probably made it through most of them and see what, because he, he noticed some trends definitely with our interview style and
3: the way we. Backwards trends.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. well, tell, tell him to find out what we like, what he likes, what he doesn't.
4: Yeah. Yeah, well. So what about new bloggers? We have a couple of new bloggers or one.
3: Yeah, we got a new blog over at Grand America for Tea in Mind. Um, and then, of course, we have scattered sky spirits, um, seeking paradigm. Are you going to try and name them all right a now? Paranormal world. Um, am I missing one? Jared Grace. Jared Grace from down under. Jared Grace is a paranormal world. Jared Drake is from down under.
1: Yeah,
3: I think that's all of them. It'd be real. Oh, crazy ufologist. Yeah, that's it. I named them all. And it, uh, well, there's I've got got a few emails i need to respond to a couple other people are interested so it's nice to see that growing for sure yeah the more the merrier
4: and we want to try out sort of this uh this marketing as we wouldn't even call it marketing but just sort of a campaign to uh maybe paste a couple America flyers all over the globe so i think jared from new zealand had an idea and so we're so darren's gonna make up a, a pdf of America and we're going to put it on the website for you My to print wife. out.
3: My wife is going to.
4: Yeah, your wife's going to make it. Can't
3: steal the credit.
4: Right. So anyways, you can pull it up off the website, print it out, take a picture of yourself, send the picture in.
3: No, oh, no, you got to put it up. You got to put, no, yeah, I don't I want, I don't want it pictures up. of people. No, I said put it up. Oh, okay, yeah. Put it
4: up somewhere cool, take a take picture a, of it.
3: Yeah, take a picture of it. Now, yeah. If you want to send a picture yourself, sure, but. Yeah, you can include I,
4: yourself, for sure. I guess.
3: Uh, just don't send pictures of yourselves. It's cool. (laughs) Just send a picture of where you, send a picture of, uh, where you put the flyer. Um, and I think we'll throw them up on the website. Maybe we can vote on them and the winner will win, uh, something cool. We'll think of something cool we can give away as a prize.
4: Yeah, that sounds good. And you can also send the picture if you want to print it out and send it to our PO box. We have a PO box one, six, zero, three, three.
3: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the P.O. box. So, yeah, if you don't want to email it, if you want to be original and uh, send it in the mail, it's always cool to get, uh, you know, a a physical letter in the mail or a postcard. You can go ahead and send it to there.
4: So check out the the website for the P.O. box, too.
3: Yeah, just click on contact and you'll find the P.O. box. And all the email addresses of myself, Graham, and uh, all the bloggers, Gramerica email addresses are on there as well.
4: And you had a couple books arrive, right?
3: Yeah, I had a couple uh, books arrive from our friends over at Inner Traditions. Uh, the Ironically, the Ancient Giants Who Ruled America. Uh, this one's by Richard J. Dewhurst.
4: Hey, that was just talked about in our podcast last night.
3: This is our podcast.
4: Yeah, no, no, the one with uh, Susan B. Martinez. Oh, is this the one she mentioned? Yeah, that's the one.
3: Yeah, yeah so this kind of goes right in line with what Fritz Zimmerman was talking about.
4: Fr- Fritz Zimmerman.
3: Fritz Zimmerman. That's what I said. You said Fitz. No, Fitz Zimmerman.
4: <laughs> so, um, and yeah, that that's uh, fascinating stuff. The Giants again.
3: And yeah. Then, so I'll, we'll have to read this, and uh, I don't think we want to do another one on Giants right away, but probably in the you know a couple months we can go back there for sure. It's definitely an interesting subject.
4: Yeah, and it seems to be more and more uh, interesting as time goes on, and there's more and more accounts dug up from the past. And then we also got. The Secret Influence of the Moon, that's Alien Origins and Occult Powers by Louis Proud.
3: Louis Proud. So that's more, is that the one like, is that like moon-based shit?
4: Um, I don't know. I haven't even read the thing yet, so.
3: Let's read the back. What's the back say?
4: Despite being the most prominent celestial body after the sun, the moon has many qualities that science has yet to explain. Lunar rock samples reveal the moon once had a magnetic field like the Earth, and seismic experiments by NASA Suggest the moon is at least partially hollow
3: hollow moon that's that them fucking the sound the neil made neil and buzz gonged <laughs> off the moon
4: so anyways that's uh
3: that's the gist of
4: it should be cool
3: yeah we'll uh, give us some time to read those but that's uh, probably some stuff that'll be coming up and you know it takes us a while to get through the books and and keep this everything rolling so uh but it's we definitely thank the people over at Inner, Inner Traditions for sending them over, and we'll uh, guess to look forward to down the road.
4: Yeah, and then we also want to talk about uh, an idea that THC has started for uh, donations. That's the Higher Side Chats. We had those guys on a couple episodes ago, and they have a, a somewhat donation-based uh, uh, program called they call it the Money Bomb. So basically they give away half of their donations on, I think, a monthly basis?
3: Yeah, something like that, month to month, uh, or every five episodes or something like that, they're doing it. And uh, basically, they're just giving away, yeah, 50% of the donations go to a random person to enter. You either need to make a donation or send a postcard, and that's kind of the model. E- emails a little too simple, but we think if you uh, send a postcard to the thing, you go on the wall, and then you're entered. Uh, for the people that just can't afford it, or if you go there and make a small donation of any size, um you're entered and basically what we'll do is you know the it it we're gonna wait till uh... well we're not doing
4: it yet. yeah, this is something we're gonna do in the future, yeah once we have a, a big enough listening base, we'll probably we'll probably start something like that,
3: yeah, exactly, and it's a way that everybody can kind of win and we can we can cover some of the the overhead that the podcast seems to increasingly cost yeah yeah
4: yeah we don't really like to ask for donations or i don't really like to ask for donations but the fact is this costs us a little bit of money so we're not in it for the money but we'd like to eventually cover a portion of our costs at least
3: yeah exactly and it just opens up other possibilities down the road as well um i have been working on a on a On a donation page of some sort, but I just haven't got around to posting it yet. Uh, But that'll be coming down the road. And like I say, uh, of course, the podcast will always be free. But we just want to open up some different avenues that people can support the show if they're looking to.
4: Yeah, yeah. And didn't we get a couple donations that uh, you wanted to thank somebody from? Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. We got. You uh, you look those
4: people up and I'll keep
3: talking here. Okay, you keep (laughs) jibber-jabbering.
4: So we just bought, uh, I also wanted to say... I was noticing our sound was pretty inconsistent. So uh, I actually found a new mic uh, set on on Kijiji. So I found exactly what I was looking for. So I got a new mic and a stand. And and our studio setup here should make it so that we have better, more consistent sound quality. Hey, Darren.
3: Yeah, we got this new uh, compressor limiter gate. Um, it gives us a little bit more jam, gives us a, gives me a lot more control over cutting out background noise and breathing sounds or anything like that, even coughs, um, tapping me, playing with pens, all that shit. I used to have to take all that out in post-production, but now this thing cuts it out for me, so it's going to cut down the workload, and it it gives us a lot more control over our, our audio in a, in a live setting, which isn't important now, but... Uh, you know, like we've talked about in the past, we're looking at maybe doing some sort of hangouts or some sort of, you know, once in a while program that is actually in in real time with maybe a chat room or something like that. I don't think it's something we want to do on on a regular basis because that would just put a little bit too much pressure on the show. But uh, once in a while, you know, on a on a Friday night or something like that, it might be might be fun.
4: Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe once a month or something.
3: Yeah, it just brings our our little Grimerica community a little bit. Uh, you know, it gives us a chance to get together.
4: So, yeah, it's sounding good so far. And um, we also wanted to mention our uh, our Amazon portal, too, because that's a good way to support the show. If you go in through grimerica.ca or .com and you click on the Amazon button and whatever you buy from there, we get like a tiny, tiny slice. But you don't have to pay anything more. Actually, the costs just come off of Amazon.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's down at the bottom of the page. is a Canada one and a U.S. one. Um, so you guys, uh, you know, if you're, you're buying shit anyway, um, I'm sure there's a a few other shows out there that have their Amazon portals as well, but Hey, at least put us in the rotation. Exactly. Use the Grammarica portal for everyone, your purchases every once in a while. Yeah. If you're
4: buying like a new car or a new stereo or TV. I bought those
3: cables the other day. I don't even think (laughs) I used the Grammarica portal. What? Yeah. I think I fucking forgot. Lame. Yeah, I know. Brutal. Hey,
4: uh, a new meetup group, uh. I got an email from a new meetup group in, in
3: Alberta called SAS. Hey, we should. Yeah, okay. Yeah, before we get to that, I looked up. Uh, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, the... so for, yeah, last, uh, over Christmas, we got uh, two donations. Uh, randomly, one from Jason. Um, one from Jason and one from Justin. So thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Um, actually, the money went into my PayPal account, and it actually covered the the web january's web hosting costs
4: yeah perfect there you go
3: yeah so the show paid for itself thanks guys we really appreciate it and uh we hope you enjoy the show and we keep providing you with uh good good stuff yeah, exactly we're doing our best yeah we're close to our best Maybe yeah not always our best. yeah not always but that sounds terrible to say but
4: <laughs> so SAS is a new uh meetup group in i uh, <laughs> in alberta it's called
3: SAS Southern Alberta called SAS
4: Southern Alberta
3: Sasquatch Society. Oh, that's different.
4: (laughs) So yeah, so because we gotta have a Bigfoot episode coming up pretty soon, so I'm I'm gonna join join that group and uh, see what's going on in Alberta.
3: Are you guys gonna go on expeditions? I don't
4: know. Maybe. Do you want to come?
3: No, I just go camping. I don't need to go camping with strangers and spooking each other, unless there's night vision goggles or mushrooms or mushrooms. I don't want to go eat mushrooms with strangers either maybe it could turn out to be a good time or it could just turn out to be fucking be hiding out in the woods all night. Cause that happens.
4: Oh yeah. No, I know
3: all the time. Yeah.
4: So we want to mention, uh, we have, uh, Daniele, Bolelli booked. He's uh, got the podcast, the drunken towers. So we want to give everybody, uh, a little bit of notice if they want to tweet questions or email questions for him. Cause he's a, he's a fascinating guy and he's got a real, really cool podcast. When's he on uh, Darren,
3: uh the interview is gonna be the 21st 21st of january okay
4: so coming up pretty quick here like two weeks
3: yeah yeah Yeah. so you guys should have uh, a fair notice usually we never give you guys enough notice but this time i think you guys should have at least a week or so um to get us some questions in the episode probably won't come out for a week or a week and a half after the interview but the date of the interview is the 21st so that's when we'll need the questions in by
4: yeah cool other than that, we got our uh, our chat with uh, David Weatherly coming up here. D Dub, D Dub, the master storyteller.
3: Master storyteller, yeah. It was a great episode, great chat. Uh, you know, I met Dave at Paradigm Symposium in twenty twelve. Yeah. Twenty twelve, and uh, it was the first time I really ever heard of Black Eyed Kids, but they were spooky as fuck. And then uh, he's a Real super nice guy, you know. We ended up we were able to hang out with him a bit there in the last night. I hung out with him for a little while and had a beer with him, and he was just a real cool cat.
4: Yeah, yeah, great. I can't wait to chat with him again too. And we'll probably see him at Paradigm 2014 if if we go. Alright, so enjoy the uh the episode and we'll uh, see him the other side. <laughs>
3: Tonight we're going to be chatting with David Weatherly, uh, speaker at Paradigm Symposium in the last couple of years, and uh, and a renowned author and researcher. But first, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham?
4: Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to be back in the igloo.
3: Back in the igloo, yeah. Back in the saddle, as they say.
4: <laughs> Fitting for Calgary.
3: Yeah, exactly.
4: So yeah, we have David Weatherly here. He was um, he was a fascinating uh, speaker at at the Paradigm symposium in 2013 as uh, as our our regular contributor red pill junkie said he's a master storyteller and uh, we'll get we'll get him to tell that that story that made red pill say that but uh, david weatherly he's been a paranormal investigator author and world explorer and he's been he's been doing this for over 35 years he's pursued the world of the strange investigating cases around the country and abroad. I think he's one of these boots-on-the-ground type guys, and he's written and lectured on a diverse range of topics, including cryptozoology, ancient mysteries, ufology, haunting, shamanism, and psychic phenomena. He's also studied shamanic and magical traditions from elders from numerous cultures, including Europe, Tibet, Native America, and Africa. He uh, he studied a range of energy systems from shamanic techniques to Hawaiian huna and Qigong healing, and he studied with a Taoist masters in China, had an audience with the Dalai Lama, and is a Reiki master. So there's another Reiki master for us, Darren.
3: Beauty. We can add him to the list. Well, without further ado, welcome to the show, David. We're thrilled to have
2: you on tonight. Darren, Graham, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
4: I also wanted to mention some of your books too David. Um you've already written at least you got 3 here right? The Black-Eyed Children, Strange Intruders and then the latest one Tolpa's Thought Forms and the Web of Life and that was the that was kind of your your main presentation there at Paradigm 2013.
2: Right? That was a presentation at Paradigm. Uh the book is not out yet. It's um kind of in the final stages of being completed hopefully. Uh, early part of
4: 2014, it should be out. Cool. Well, we had a lot of people at at the symposium um, looking forward to that book. You were you were quite the popular uh, popular guest there.
3: Black-eyed kids was scary as fuck. Was it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a spooky book. My wife won't she won't read it, but it's spooky. I read it in a, okay. in, a, in a, like a segmented time, but it'll creep you out.
4: yeah i'm sort of putting that one off for a little while
3: (laughs) something about those black-eyed kids man
2: it's it's a weird topic it really is that's what i spoke at um the first paradigm on and you know it it really it kind of creeped a lot of people out and uh you know my buddy micah hanks just thought it was a, a real riot because he was standing outside of the lecture room and Saw a couple of people leaving and saying that it was just too creepy for them to sit and listen to, <laughs> to these stories. Uh, but it's it, it's a very weird phenomenon, and it just seems to keep going and going. Uh, you know, the more you dig into it, the more there is. And I've moved on now. I'm researching other things and investigating other things. But uh, I still get a lot of emails, and you know, people contacting me with their encounters. And there's a lot of other investigators who are still pursuing the topic. I, I suspect you'll probably see a few more books come out about the, the whole phenomenon over the next couple of years.
4: So your strange intruders book was that before black eyed children? Like did that lead you down the black eyed kid's
2: path? Actually, no, it, it's kind of an interesting story because I started writing a book that addressed a whole range of different entity encounters. You know, this strange intruders. Uh, is where that title came from. But, what happened was when I was working on that book I started having so many of these black-eyed kid encounters come up and, and when I really started to dig in that phenomena uh, dig into it more for the the section of the book I realized god there's there's so much here this is a whole book on its own and you know it's the artistic thing kind of takes over and and you know the, the creative energy drives in a different direction and uh it just turned out that no, I, I need to do a whole book about this because the weird thing about that phenomenon, and Darren, I know you've read the book, so you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's so many different types of uh, things that you can you know link it to, and it's weird because you could argue that they're something demonic. You can argue that they're alien. Uh, you can just go down a lot of paths you know, with these things, and uh, that's kind of what I did with the Blackout Children book. So what I did was later on, I went back and readdressed some of the material that I still had, kind of hovering around for the second book, which was Strange Intruders. Uh, Strange Intruders just came out this past fall.
4: Oh, right. Okay. Okay. That's, that's
3: interesting. Yeah, it was great because it's, it's broken up into, I think, like 20, 23 or 24 chapters, so they're nice and short. You know, you can read them in kind of short bursts because I, I it's hard to leave a book for me. If I start leaving a book and it's not on a chapter, I get myself in all kinds of trouble. What do you mean? Right. I, I mean, just kind of get lost in, you know, where I am. and Oh, okay. Then I end up just going back to the start of the chapter anyway.
2: <laughs> and that's kind of what the modern public likes, you know, that type of... Uh, format i think it's because our lives become so busy you know there's a lot of people that will read you know on the bus going to work or you know on breaks and things like that and i think that that format makes it a lot easier and it, it was easy to do with that book anyway because of uh you know doing all the different chapters that uh, explain the similarities between the vk and you know the men in black or whatever it was
4: I don't know. There's so much stuff to to touch on here. Um, I'd like to talk to you about um, your your fascinating story from the paradigm 2013. I mean, we might as well get into that. It was really like in the way you told that, and it was that one that you you know the Tolpa story, but you had that real personal um, personal twist in there. Um, maybe we could start by telling that and then and then go from there. If if you don't, don't- mind.
2: I I don't mind. I'm not sure how well it will convey, uh, you know, in a podcast like this. But um, essentially, you know, first of all, the term tulpa is Tibetan. And it essentially translates loosely in in the Western tongue as thought form or uh, energy being. It's a, a living physical creature, whether it's a human or an animal that is created from pure thought. Now, the story that you heard me tell, Graham, in the lecture was sort of what got me into the whole world of of the idea of tulpas and and, the origin of this. And uh, what happened for me on a personal level was I, I was living in the Washington, D.C. metro area and I got a call one evening from this friend of mine. He wanted me to uh, join him at a party that was being hosted by the Indian Embassy, and you know, not uh, not wanting him to go by himself, and, and you know, not being able to quite turn down when I heard there was an open bar and, and free food. And, you know, I was like, okay, uh, you yeah, know, I have to do this. So, um, you know, I. I got ready and joined him and you know we went to this uh, lavish party uh, that was being hosted by by the embassy people and you know lots of food and drinks and, and really fascinating people quite honestly um you know dc is such a melting pot and i really uh, enjoyed a lot of things about living there one of them was being able to interact with a lot of different cultures and learn a lot of different things because my interest at the time you know, it was all the paranormal field, but it was also a lot of different uh, tribal teachings, shamanic traditions, and so forth. So I'm at this party, you know, with all these uh, uh, wide range of people, and they're mingling about and so on. I. And I'm meeting people, you know, from India and from other parts of the world. And uh, somewhere in the course of the evening, <clears throat> I noticed that uh, these three men entered the room. The two of them are, tr- are dressed as uh, Tibetan monks. And the third one is clearly Tibetan. He's he's kind of short. He's much older. He's wearing what I identified at the time as, I must just be tribal Tibetan clothing, uh, just village clothing. So, of course, my interest was immediately in a uh, a spiked, and I thought, wow, I'd like to get to talk to these guys. I hadn't really had a chance to interact with any Tibetan monks, and had a lot of questions and and you know wanted to explore that avenue some so, uh, as the party sort of wore on, I, I found that each time I was kind of not engaged in a conversation, uh, they were busy, they were talking to people and and vice versa, and it just never quite synchronized you know and finally a little bit later in the evening, I, you know finally was free and and walking around some of the people had left by then and. I searched all over, and then I couldn't find these guys. I thought, gosh, uh, they must have left, missed my opportunity, and I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe maybe another time. So, you know, I started circulating, and, and my friend and I decided to leave, and uh, I was kind of saying goodbye and, and kind of having that final contact with a few people I'd interact with in the night, and um, I turned around to leave, and... <laughs> All of a sudden, standing right there is this elderly Tibetan guy, and and I swear if I'd taken, you know, another step forward, I I just would have body slammed him. He was that close, and uh, how in the world he had just come up behind me in complete silence—it was kind of baffling itself. And uh, so here's this little Tibetan guy, and he's standing there, and he—I'm a tall guy, I'm just over six foot, and and he's real short, and he's just kind of smiling up at me, and. you know, so when I, I recovered from the shock of seeing him standing there, I was like, "Oh wow!" And so I introduced myself and and uh, you know greeted him. And there's nothing; this guy just stands there smiling. So there's kind of an awkward pause, you know, and thinking, "Okay." Uh, and then I try. I know a little bit of Chinese. So I tried greeting him in Chinese because a lot of these guys do speak. Uh, Cantonese, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I tried that, and there's still no response. This guy's still just standing there, smiling at me. So now there's this, you know, awkward, like, you know, what the hell do you do with this? (laughs) Like, okay, Um, there's a little Tibetan guy smiling at me, and and you know, literally, really, it was probably just a few seconds that passed by, but one of those moments that seems longer than it really is, Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, this guy says ah, I am looking for you. You help refugees. And he takes, uh, he shoves this piece of paper in my hand. And he says, uh, you'll be here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. <laughs> he turns around and walks away. And that's it. You know, and I'm standing here thinking, this is you know this is okay <laughs> what do I do with this you know I look at the, the papers and address you know I geez. now honestly I, I'm I'm more shocked at the idea of being somewhere at 6 a.m. in the morning because weird <laughs> incidents like this they happen to me all all the time you know my whole life they've, they've happened to me so I'm not overly surprised by it by the encounter I'm thinking oh geez you know I, I got home that night, I'm thinking, 6 a.m. to get somewhere, you know, all the way down. turned out to be in Georgetown. Hmm. Um, and, you know, from where I lived at the time, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got to get up so early to, you know, to be at this location. But, of course, you know, the, the curiosity won out <laughs> over the the idea of, uh, of sleep and, you know, the next morning. So... You know, I, so I make it down to this address, it turns out to be in Georgetown, as I said. Now, for anyone who doesn't know the area, Georgetown is like the posh, you know, one of the upper-scale areas of, of D.C. The houses are extremely expensive and mostly occupied by politicians and lawyers and doctors. You know, um, So I, I'm walking along the street and, you know, along the brownstones looking at the numbers, and before I even reach it, I know which one it is because rolling out into the street is the sound of this Tibetan chanting. (laughs) And I had to stand and laugh for a moment thinking, God, I bet the lawyer next door loves this. (laughs) You know, because uh, a lot of the the people who live there are kind of snooty, you know. And and I go up to this brownstone. I get to the door, and this, this Tibetan guy greets me at the door ushers me through a room full of monks who are all sitting there doing their, their chanting and, and into this uh, kitchen area. And there's the elderly gentleman I had met at the party. And, um, you know, I, I kind of skipped some things here because it, not to bore you guys, but essentially, you know, I sit down and started interacting with this guy and I learned that his name was uh, Tenzin. And he was actually a, a bone shaman. Now, bone shamanism is the native Shamanic tradition of Tibet And in a lot of ways It has sort of melded together With Tibetan Buddhism And uh, it's one of the reasons you see a lot of the the Mystical aspects in in some of the Tibetan Buddhist practitioners
4: Did you say bone shaman?
2: Yes Okay. So You know this gentleman he, He essentially says that He had had a dream and you know knew the people that would help him in this project that he was working on and, and I was one of the faces that he recognized from that so that's why he had sort of summoned me there and, and the the whole quote, project that was going on was that uh, you know they were helping Tibetan refugees uh, essentially relocate uh, first get out of Tibet and then relocate to, to really different parts of the world a lot of them ended up going to Europe, some to Canada, uh, different parts of the United States. And um, without getting into any of the, the history aspect of it, essentially it was because you know, the Chinese had invaded Tibet in the 50s. And over the course of, of time, the Chinese military had become more and more repressive on the uh, Tibetan people. So the Tibetan government in exile actually uh, lived in India. And that's why these Tibetans were at the uh, party hosted by the Indian embassy. And, uh, you know, the the Indian government has always been very helpful to the Tibetan government in exile. So, uh, you know, essentially what was going on was all these people would come in. And, you know, once I found out what was going on, I I started helping these guys. And it, it got to be this routine where, you know, this bus would roll up in front of this brownstone in Georgetown. And out would come all these Tibetans would file into the home and you know we would we would go to work uh you know arranging travel for them arranging host families a whole wide range of other things now to get to the whole purpose behind this uh this story um, what happened was during the course of my time working with these guys uh there were you know this set of months that uh, tenzin was with and, and they all worked at this project, and, and I kind of tried to make it a point during my time with them to, to make personal contact with each one of these guys. Some of them spoke English, some of them spoke a little bit of English, some of them spoke a little Chinese, uh, some of them none at all, but, you know, with, with the ones that only spoke Tibetan, I would just kind of, you know, use hand gestures, and you, you know, you communicate however you can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was able to connect with each one of these guys over time, except for one young monk. Who just sort of seemed to snub me. He, you know, he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't acknowledge me. I tried to bring him tea, you know. He, he would just turn and walk away. And uh, two or three incidents happened, and finally, I thought I must have done something. I must have offended this guy. So I went to Tenzin when I had the chance, and I said, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think I've offended this monk. I'm really, you know, puzzled, and I want to fix this, you know. And, of course, the old man—he's he's smiling. He says, "No, no offense." And uh, I said, "No, no. I, I really think I have because you know he—he he won't, he won't speak, he won't say anything." Uh, no, no. He is a tulpa. <laughs> so you know, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, tulpa. You know, I'm trying to place the word. And you know, he—he he says again. You know, he says tulpa. He says, "You know, tulpa." <laughs> now. We've all had these moments. <laughs> You're going to pretend. You know, the ego of youth takes over. You know what? What I really could have said or should have said was, "No, I, I'm not quite clear. Can you explain?" No. <laughs> what I had to say was, "Oh yes, yeah, yeah, Topa." <laughs> so of course, you know, Tenzin smiles, still. It's Oh, good, and he strolls out of the room, leaving me standing there, thinking, "What in the heck is a Topa?" <laughs> and. You know, I have to preface this with people and say, look, you know, remember, this was not the age of smartphones. <laughs> you know, I didn't have Google at hand to to quickly, you know, see what Wikipedia had to say a was. I had no idea. So it drove me nuts the rest of the day. I'm thinking, all right. Now, finally, I get home that evening, and I had a pretty extensive library even then. had a lot of books on Eastern traditions, And I'm going, I swear, I got every one of them that night trying to find that bloody word, not in a one of them. And and it's nagging at me because I know I've heard it before. I just know I have. But I just can't place it. So, you know, finally, uh, I I give up. It's not in any of the books. And, you know, the next day it comes along, I'm thinking, all right, you know, uh, I don't really have time to go to, to, you know, the National Library or anything like that. There's got to be a way. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm a smart guy. I'm just going to start kind of bringing it up with these other monks and get some clues yeah right you ever try to be slick with a tibetan monk it, it doesn't exactly work you know i'm kind of uh, approaching these guys and I, i'm saying leading things like you know so oh so he's a tulpa and of course you know the response i get is yes tulpa <laughs> Almighty. and uh, I'm thinking you know it's got to be some kind of title or something but uh, so the, the the rest of the week is by completely striking down and trying to get any information out of these guys but I've got this close friend who who's just an amazing authority on all things Eastern and mysticism and so forth and he's actually in the Far East uh, this week as a story is happening and I know, okay, you know, Peter's going to be back this weekend. So as soon as he's in, I rush over and, and I, you know, visit him. And I'm barely in the door and I'm saying, Peter, what's a tulpa? And, uh, you know, he's a real easy-paced guy. He looks like he's in a meditative state all the time. You know, he's like, "Talpa, huh? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just driving me more up the wall. And he's like, are you sure they said tulpa? So I have to explain all of this to him, right? and he's like oh, okay well you know ha- have a seat have some coffee just a minute and uh you know coffee's probably the last thing i needed at the moment but uh <laughs> he uh he disappears and he comes back a few minutes later and he hands me this book by alexander david Mayo. and i see that book and my immediate reaction is oh damn john Keel. and <clears throat> yeah that, that probably doesn't make sense to most people but <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the way this story wraps up, yeah, is the fact that okay, Alexander David Meow has this whole section in one of her books about tulpas, and um, you know, she had a personal experience with a tulpa, and she was the one who wrote about it. And and I suddenly realize, my God, I've read about tulpas through John Keel, oh. Mothman prophecies, and I'm thinking this is the last, you know, this it's one of those examples of, you know, you're trying to put something in a box. You know, I'm trying to think strictly in Eastern esoteric terms when I'm trying to remember this, this phrase. And uh, really, I had learned about it from Keel you know, the years before. And uh, so, you know, essentially, um, I, I started delving into the whole thing from there and, and learned that, uh, you know, Alexandra, David Neil first of all, it's just an She's incredible woman. She's really amazing. Uh, very few people know who she is. She, uh, during the early 1900s, went into Tibet when it was the Forbidden Kingdom. You know, it, it was taboo pretty much for Westerners to go there, let alone a Western woman. And uh, this woman, she found a way. She, she went into the country several times. She would sneak in through China disguised as a Chinese peasant. Yeah, she would do all these creative things to get in. And she became really good friends with with some of the high lamas in Tibet, and they sort of took her in. And during one of her journeys, and I have to tell this story because this is like the pinnacle uh, tulpa story, even though I'm getting a little bit off track. Uh, Alexandra uh, met this artist who was uh, a Tibetan artist who was fixated on painting this one particular deity. And he did it constantly. Now, she had interacted some with this man, and then he, he traveled on to his village or whatever. And much, much later, uh, she sees him again. He comes back through this village where she's staying. And as she describes him, he's a completely different man all of a sudden. He's uh, he's nervous. He seems paranoid. Um, you know, he, he's really out of sorts. And when she talks to him. She finds out that this deity that he has has painted repeatedly is now manifesting itself to him. He's he's physically seen this deity, and she doesn't know quite what to make of it. the The man he journeys on, and uh, after he's left, she goes and speaks to one of the high lamas, and she says, "You know what exactly has happened with this man because he's seen this deity." And the Lama says, Oh, that's a Torah. <laughs> and this Lama explains that in the ancient ways there is a process that a person, a being, can be created from pure thought. Now she's a little bit dubious about this and she's like, okay, well, you know, what's I, I want to know about this, I want to learn the process. Well, amazingly they agree to teach it to her. So they teach her process. They tell her how to do it. So being a Westerner, uh, Alexander decides that she's not going to focus on anything that's strictly Tibetan because she doesn't want to be influenced unduly. So what she decides to do is to start her meditations and this, this ritual practice by focusing on the image of this jolly old monk. So, you know, think in terms of, like, Friar Tuck.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So she's visualizing this, this jolly Western monk. Who, as the process unfolds, that she as she follows the the instructions from the lamas, she begins to see this monk in her hut, and he begins to take on, you know, more and more form. Now, at first, he appears to be just some, you know, almost like an apparition. It becomes more and more solidified. Well, Alexandra, goes. Um, on a, a journey with a large group of Tibetans, and they break this camp and they leave. They're traveling, you know, across the, the wilderness. And as they're traveling, other people in the party begin to see this monk. <laughs> so he has become a physical walk, you know, he's walking around, he's interacting, he's, he's a living being. But something happens during the course of this journey. The energy of the monk changes she says that where he was jolly and smiling before, now he he has a, a sinister air about him. He sort of leers at her. He uh, begins to frighten her. Huh. So she has to go back to the Lamas. And she says, you know, she explains the situation. And uh, this is typical of Tibetans. You know, you, you really, <laughs> with a lot of elders, actually, you really have to know, what questions to ask. And you have to make sure you ask every damn question you can think of because, you know, if you don't ask directly and, and really go into it, they're not going to tell no, you. you are not the, the in-depth answers, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, uh, they say, oh, yes, <laughs> Tulpa can take on its own life <laughs> and its own purposes. It can start manifesting its own intent. So she's thinking, oh, geez, great. You know, so this this thing not created is is taking on, you know, its own life, its own attitude, and, and clearly, you know, a direction that's not not very uh, friendly. So she has to go through this whole process with the monks and say, you know, what 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 do I do now? And they tell her that the only thing she could do now is go through a different set of rituals that uh, dispel the energy that created this Tulpa. Hmm. So it's it's another process she has to go through. Uh, to cause this thing to essentially go away. Now, to bring this all the way back around to my personal story uh, with this young monk who I was told was a tulpa, I learned over a period of time that essentially what had happened was uh, there was a a monk that was in this group, and uh, he had been a a married man whose wife had died early, and they had never had any children. And he was always kind of heartbroken about this. So knowing a lot of the old ways, this monk uh, retreated into a cave for a long period of time, and when he reemerged, he had a son with him, huh. and this son was, was you know, a grown man who appeared to be sort of in his 20s, maybe, and uh, that, you know, by everyone's uh, definition was a tulpa. This man was... Uh, was very attached to the elder monk. You know, they were always sort of together, and they did look related. You know, initially when I had met them, I thought, you know, well, this is, you know, father and son, or this is, you know, a much younger brother, or something, there's some connection here, a uh, familial connection. Uh, so I learned over time that that's exactly what happened. This man had created a tulpa of a son, a son that he never had. And, uh, you know, I... um You know I I don't there's there's no way to really prove a hundred percent that this was the case you know all the Tibetans completely believe this and and that was you know um, that was their reality and you know I I heard much later that these uh, these particular uh, monks ended up going back to India and um, I heard at some later point that the elder monk had, had died and uh that the his his quote son had just uh no one really knew what happened to him. He had just sort of disappeared in the aftermath. Wow.
4: So it sounds like there's some unintentional things going on too. Like the the painter painting that that deity, um, he he wasn't intentionally creating a tolpo, was he? And then and then when um when Alexandra when her tolpa went sideways, uh, that was didn't sound like that was anything that she had done or, or not, something that she hadn't done. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You
2: know, it, it, it's a fascinating area because we I went into the some in, in the lecture at Paradigm as a remembergram, but there were some things that I really wasn't able to touch on a whole lot. Uh, one of the things that could be a modern Tolkien that we're seeing manifest is the slender man. And uh. You know, I, I covered the Slender Man in my, uh, Strange Intruders book. And the thing is, is that we we know that the Slender Man is a manufactured story. You know, it, uh, it was created on the internet. It was created as, as the result of a contest. And, uh, at the same time, there's some really strange things happening, revolving around this character, uh. I don't know. Do you guys
3: want to hear this? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually looking pictures of these uh, this slender man right now. It's pretty creepy. It it is pro- pretty it's creepy. probably okay. like it's probably
4: creepier than the Black Eyed Kids.
3: Actually, one thing most people don't know is Graham is actually a topa I created just to, uh, to help me run the show here. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's why he was acting so weird at, uh, at in the paradigm. Park. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's hard to <laughs> try and just staring blankly at
4: everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I never saw him eat or anything. So, yeah. you know.
3: <laughs> so yeah. how was the uh, Slenderman, like, what was it, a contest to design a character or something like that? Or,
2: Well, what happened with Slender Man was there was a, a contest on this forum. The forum's called Something Awful. And this guy posted this idea, and his idea was, uh, let's create a paranormal-themed uh, Photoshop image and make it go viral, make people believe it. So, you know, the, the contest, it was it was open when people first started getting into it. They were, you know, creating all kinds of, of aliens and cryptids and different kinds of things, and, and a lot of stuff was, you know, way out there. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up with, with something that really initially is much more subtle. And I think that's the real power of why this thing took on so much uh, energy initially. It wasn't way over the top. There there was little information about it. It was simply that uh, that there was this figure that had been spotted in photographs lurking in the background of, you know, these uh, disasters, you know, a a school fire, uh, you know, a couple of other things, and and he begins to be linked to the disappearance of children and uh, other strange events. And there's there's a, a few different photographs that are posted them. Eventually, they start to call him the Slender Man. He appears to be a humanoid uh, uh, figure in a black suit. He's very very tall, very thin, as the name implies. Often is depicted with Extra arms—it's almost octopus-like, but they, you know—a lot of times they're kind of vaguely, you know, they're almost in the shadows, and, and it's this weird uh, distortion. It's like you don't know, quite know what exactly he is. He's depicted as having no real face, just sort of a—you uh, know—there's an impression almost of, of maybe eyes and a nose there, but not, you know, not any kind of features you can uh, notice. And what happened with this contest was that people were so intrigued that the whole thread became just about the Slender Man. All these other people started contributing to this uh, character, and they really built a mythos very quickly. Um, You know, people were posting things that linked the Slender Man to these ancient medieval tales. They would take, uh, someone took a series of woodcuts from the 1500s and you know, uh, photoshopped them essentially and created this slender man type of character in the woodcuts. And you know, people would post journal entries from different time periods. And in the midst of all of this, these guys created a a video series called Marvel Hornets, and was done in installments. And without really going too much into it, the the gist of the storyline was that this group of people they were filming a. a a college uh, document or a college film and uh, it was all about this producer's you know hometown and supposedly this guy suddenly stopped working on the movie and told everybody to go away and his friend who's narrating the series goes and talks to this guy and says you know what is it what's wrong and you know there's this implication that this creature this something was lurking in the background and stalking this man, and, and he he gives this. Uh, the producer gives his friend all this video footage and says, "Take it away, or I'm going to burn it. I don't want to see it again." So there's this whole story then unfolds with this guy trying to find the slender man, and then he disappears. And it's uh, it's you know it's, it's incredibly uh, good, you know, tense quality for what they were doing. But something really curious happened in the midst of all of this. Unfolding, the Slender Man idea did start to go somewhat viral on the internet. But independently, people started to report encounters with this thing. So coast to coast, AM one night gets a frantic call, you know, from someone who swears they've encountered the Slender Man. Uh, other reports start to come in to various different sources, and even to this day. You can talk to me. I've talked to people who are absolutely 100% convinced that the Slender Man is real. He was not created on the Internet. That was just, uh, you know, people sort of um, telling stories about about something that already existed. So, you know, people are seeing this thing and and reporting encounters with it, and it it becomes very bizarre. Now, you know, we can kind of go down the rabbit hole and go several directions with this thing because... It could indeed be a tulpha that's being created by this, you know, large group consciousness uh, focusing. Yeah, to, by know, mass and... hysteria type yeah, sort well, of thing. Now we've got mass consciousness, you know, focused on the idea that this thing really exists. And, and, and fear is a very powerful energy and motivator. And that's, you know, what this thing really, the whole thing around this guy, it's, it's fear, it's terror.
3: Similar to the Millennium Falcon at the bottom of the Baltic Sea that we created.
2: Right. (laughs) So, you know, it could be that that's happening. There's another possibility. And the other possibility is that, you know, this may be the result of some other entity, you know, whether it's a dimensional entity, whether it's a spirit, um, you know, whether it's a djinn, I mean, who knows? It could be some other consciousness that is taking advantage of the fact that some people are focusing on the reality of this thing and uh, using that as a vessel to manifest. Oh, that's interesting.
3: Maybe it makes the veil a little thinner. Sure, absolutely.
4: You know, even in our in our culture and our negative media or those types of things, right? How much of that do we bring on ourselves, just from people focusing and being fearful of uh, what they're seeing in the everyday media?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we all co-create our reality, and that occurs on an individual level, all the way up to you know the, the society at large, and and even we go as far as a global consciousness, but. You, know, you can look at, at scientific evidence that shows for instance that people who are you know, terminally ill who focus on uh, positive things whether they, you know they focus on humor and and you know uh, things that are positive in their life um, they have much better results from treatments than people who are convinced they're going to die so yeah it's 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 amazing stuff I mean there's there's one other Tulpa story that kind of goes into the uh, the whole aspect of you know what happens to all this energy that we produce, whether it's on an individual level or you know a group level. And that uh, Graham, you'll probably remember the story um, about Maxwell Grant that I told. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is back to John Keel again. Uh, John Keel was called to investigate a supposed haunted house in Greenwich, and. When he went to the location, the family living in this house reported that they were seeing this apparition that uh, was, was kind of scaring them. It appeared to be wearing a large black cloak and this large black hat, and a slouched hat, and uh, was doing strange things around their home. And, and Keel, when he started looking at the case, he went back and looked at, at the history of the house and you realized that the house had been owned by Walter Gibson. Now, Walter Gibson wrote under the pen name Maxwell Grant. And he was the guy who created The Shadow. The uh, Shadow, I remember this now, yeah. Here's, here's what's, what's absolutely mind-boggling about this. Walter Gibson, <laughs> he, he wrote over 2 million words a year. This man wrote two complete shadow novels per month
0: sitting in that house.
2: <laughs> Imagine if
3: him and Nick got together.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my
2: God. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be no paper for anyone else to print a book, I think I to tell you. But, you know, it, it, for anybody who's a writer, that's mind boggling, or, or any kind of artist, really. You know, um, now these, these aren't, you know, Stephen King length novels. You know, at the time, those were probably, oh, 150, 200 pages, you know, per novel. But that's still, it's phenomenal. I'm, I mean, he was writing, you know, two complete novels a month. He was writing short stories. He was writing articles. And uh, Gibson, you know, he, he did it all in that house. So, you know, he's sitting in this house for all these years, cranking out this material about the shadow and all that creative energy seems to have left some kind of residual trace energy, you know, almost an entity because the spirit these people are, are seeing, it matches the description of the shadow. Hmm. So you know, all of this amazing energy that, that uh, Gibson poured out, there it is in that confined space and it, it's possibly, you know, became something on its own.
3: The shadow is a good guy, though, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, until, I mean, he, until he
4: takes over his own personality.
2: Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I mean, he wasn't doing anything uh, particularly negative. It was just what people thought was a, you know, a spirit. They were creeped out by the idea that something was haunting their house. Now, here, you know, coming kind of full circle, <clears throat> here's an interesting correlation: the the shadow, when you really start reading a lot of the material, you know. He had this power to cloud men's minds. Now the origin of the shadow. Cloud? or plow? Cloud. Plow. plowed men's minds. Okay. To, uh, create this sort of hypnotic effect. And and he had all these different sort of mental powers that he learned, guess where, in the Far East.
4: Huh. Interesting. <laughs> So since you've been researching these tulpas and you've been on this, this little journey, is there, is there more and more coming up for you? Like your, your book's going to come out soon. Are you, or do you keep sort of adding to it as you go along here?
2: With the tulpa book in particular, you know, it's been kind of a bear to conquer this book because there really is, there's so much material and, uh, to try to keep it focused and, and sort of get the point across and, you know, help people understand one, what these things are all about, you know, the potential and, and hopefully help people think a little bit about what we can, you know, create in our lives and, and on a larger scale with things like the Slender Man, you know, that we really want to create negative uh, thought forms and, and energies like that, or, or do we want to create positive things? Um, so, you know, I, I think that, at this point, the book is pretty well defined for what it's going to cover, and uh, you know, once it's once it's finished and out there, it's uh, you know, I've got a whole list of other projects to address. So, <laughs> it's the uh, the curse of the creative spirit, I guess. is always something that is you know exciting to do the next time out.
4: Yeah, because over the last few years, we've heard so much about the Tulpa now, like way more than before, I would say. Like the guys on Mysterious Universe are talking about it, and it just keeps – I mean, maybe it's where we're at, Darren. I don't know, but it keeps coming up over and over again. So it'll be interesting to see uh, in the next few years how much Tolpa talk there is, especially after your book comes out.
2: Yeah, and it's something – you know, it cycles around uh, periodically because, as we've mentioned, Kiel talked about it. Uh, you know, much later, Lauren Coleman uh, wrote some about tulpas. Um, so you know, you, you find every once in a while it seems somebody comes up and addresses the possibility that a lot of the things that people are experiencing are the result of, of tulpas. You know, people have suggested that UFOs, for instance, are tulpas. Uh, you know, there's been suggestions that things like Sasquatch are, are the result of uh, tulpas. You know, this energy that gets built up and and focused somehow, somewhere, and, you know, this idea that if people are out looking for something, trying to spot a a Sasquatch or UFO or whatever, then they're going to help manifest it into reality, at least for a brief time. So it's an idea that gets addressed every once in a while. And uh, at the same time, nobody's really done a full, you know, exploration of some of the origins and everything uh, connected to it. And... That's that's where I'm hoping, you know, this book will fill that void.
3: Maybe that's what Greer does. He makes talpa UFOs for people to see out <laughs> at his little
4: <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that.
2: <laughs> now I tell you he's done some modern uh experiments and, and work with this. this is my good friend Bill Murphy. And a lot of people might recognize that name. Uh, Bill was on factor fake on sci-fi. But he actually it's not just a TV star guy. He he was, uh, you know, someone who had a, a good, solid background in, in field investigation prior to being on a television show. And he's also, uh, you know, he's, he's got an incredibly scientific mind and has delved into a lot of different alternative things. And he's done some really interesting experiments. Uh, I, I, uh. Participated with him on an experiment he did in California, and essentially a tulpa was created, uh, at least that a ghost uh, appears to have been created, because in, in the unfolding of this experiment, uh, an image was captured that, that no one has been able to debunk. Uh, crime scene investigators have looked at this and tried to recreate it, and they can't do it. And it's just, it's a, it's a really fascinating. It's called the Pearl Experiment. The Pearl Experiment. I look at it right Pearl now. Uh. And, and Bill actually, Bill actually has a DVD coming out that talks all about the Pearl Experiment. And, uh, if you, um, if you go on his site, I think he's got the promo image up for it. And, uh, it's amazing. It's, it appears to be a, a woman in a green dress, uh, that was caught, you know, in this photograph. And, mm. uh it's the result of this experiment there's there's no historical record uh, this 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 woman didn't exist prior to this experiment what's
3: the website
2: well it's it the, is, um, the pearl experiment ghost, his website is ghost town tv oh yeah yeah
3: i got it here i got it Ooh, i want to see if i can see this picture
4: so speaking of like field investigators, I was just talking to Chase Kletzky tonight and and she was saying you're one of her favorite guests too. And, and um, she and uh, many others would consider you one of the best like boots on the ground kind of field uh, investigators. And is that something that you you always try and, uh, oh, there's the, there's the picture. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a defined picture. I've seen that somewhere before. Yeah. The Pearl, we're just looking at the Pearl experiment here.
2: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, stuff. be
4: careful what you wish for. Yeah, see.
2: Right. <laughs> cool.
1: Hmm.
4: So when's that DVD coming out?
2: I know I, I talked to him last week, and he was uh, he was doing final editing on it, so it should be out anytime. I think he's going to have it out before the end of
4: the year. Yeah, very cool. You have to send us a link when it comes out.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey speaking I'll, I'll be, oh sorry continue No I'll be I'll be hyping in on my site to do but I'll, I'll send you guys the info on it.
3: Yeah speaking of uh, uh, DVDs I was actually sniffing around your, your site a bit today and it looks like um, the looks like you got a little project going about this Mary Boyle girl from from Ireland
2: Yeah that's a that's a case I've worked on on and off with uh, another close friend of mine Barry Fitzgerald and it, it is a uh, it's Ireland's um, youngest uh, missing person that's never been solved. And uh, it, it's really, it's a weird, weird case. Uh, you know, on the surface, it looks like a, a fairly normal quote, disappearance, but um, there seems to be something more to it the more we've investigated. This is in 1977. This is a very rural area of Ireland. And... It's in uh, County Donegal, and uh, this little girl, Mary Boyle, six years old, was strolling down a a dirt path. She was uh, just a little bit behind a a relative who was uh, carrying a a ladder, and she just vanished. She just completely disappeared. Um, There was a a massive, massive uh, manhunt that searched the entire area. And they never found any, not a single clue as to this girl's disappearance. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's, uh, Ireland is, is a land of mystery anyway. And when you look at some of these strange cases and, and some of the, the legends that surround the region where these things happen, it becomes quite intriguing. So there's there's sort of two sides to it. There's the whole mystery and then of course there's the, the tragedy of this little girl disappearing in the family and you know, is suffering for you know all these years and never knowing exactly what happened to this girl
4: hmm. i spent three months in ireland back in 90, 90 and 91 and i i wish i would have been more into all this stuff then i could have <laughs> really really kind of lurked
3: around there WestJet flies to dublin now
2: oh <laughs> yeah I, I just got back um it's uh, cause I, I went uh, we went right after Paradigm and uh, yeah it's I, I can't get enough of the place. Oh, is that I, so? I is that where you went? Bit. That's where you
4: just went recently? Is Ireland?
2: Uh, that's my most recent trip. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've got a line of stuff up for next year right now, but I, I was I was uh, all over the place this past year, traveling quite a bit. And uh, I know we we were talking off air before this started you know, about uh, that I was on Easter Island over the summer.
3: Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Did you meet the Grimerica Moai there? RPA drew him, and I, I think we almost got enough – RPJ, sorry. And I think we've almost got enough <laughs> enough listeners out there now that maybe there's a Tulpa Grimerica uh, Maui somewhere Moai. on – Moai somewhere on Easter Island.
4: <laughs> Darren, we keep pronouncing it like the Hawaiian Islands, but it's it's, yeah. Moai, it's Moai,
3: right? Moai? Moai. Moai.
2: Yeah. Maui. Maui's an island in Hawaii.
3: Well, that sounds all right, too.
2: <laughs> <So> that, yeah. <laughs> e- either way, it sounds like you're trying to get away to somewhere tropical. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> just last week here was about minus, like, 35 here or so Celsius, so...
2: Honestly, well, I can't blame you, though. <laughs> usually
3: around the, around these this time of year is when you start dreaming of beaches and, and things of the sort. Yeah.
2: yeah so, well, Easter Island is, is just... Uh, it is an absolutely amazing place. It really is. Um, you know, you have to kind of... Usually when I, I do things like that, I, I, of course, don't do the typical tourist thing. And, you know, like to sort of, uh, you know, cut below the whole tourist level of things and, and start looking at what's really going on and what, you know, what the people are like, what the area's like. And, and so it's, it's a very mysterious place. It really is.
3: So how, how deep are those... Uh... I've seen some pictures, but I never know if you can never know what's real and what's not these days I find on the internet. Um, But pictures, uh, it looks like they're, they're buried like under like over half buried in, in most instances.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to say. there's a lot of different Moai all over the Island uh, in in the different locations. And some of them, you know, they've started excavating um, and finding that it's not just a head that it's know, has a body attached to it, too. Uh, But, you know, most of the sites, you're just going to see what you see typically, like in the photographs and stuff, what is, you know, it's mostly just a head and then a very short, you know, uh, uh, representation of the body below that. And uh, some of them are on these sort of stone, uh, pedestal like things. Um, You know, some of them are, are sitting solitary, and then you'll have other areas where there's just a whole long line of them. And, uh, you know, so, and there's some that are falling over and laying down. It's just, uh, it, you wander around the place, and, and it's it's kind of mind-boggling. And the the areas where the Moai are, um, there's such a difference, you know, going from location to location. I noticed, uh, you know, there's some of them that you just have sort of this really heavy sense of, Oh my God, what were the people going through who created these things here? You know, what, what was happening? And other areas, it just seems to have a much more uh, positive vibe and, and representation to it.
4: Huh. So is there still quite a controversy over, you know, when and how those were created?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's Easter Island itself, you know, uh, of course, there's... There's historians and archaeologists out there who will swear to you they've got it all figured out and uh, you know they know they know who and why, but that does really does not seem to be the case. And uh, you know there's just uh, there's there's so little evidence really when it comes down to it to to really explain. And of course the natives, you know, were were pretty much wiped out because the uh, the natives of these the Rapa you know, they were sold off to slavery, and there are people on the island who have tried to revitalize the Rapa Nui traditions, but it's very difficult, and when you see things, you know, like there's a a huge production, there's kind of several productions that are, you know, titled like the cultural ballet or the, you know, the the different dances and so forth, and uh, you go and see these guys and it really, it looks like you're watching something that is Hawaiian or Tahitian and things like that. So they, I, I talked to some of the natives there, and they were quite honest with me. And said, you know, we've we've had to recreate a lot of this uh, from other, you know, Polynesian traditions, and uh, you know, taking ideas here and there from different islands in the Pacific to put together what we, you know, think is a close representation of what was going on here. But uh, it, it remains a mystery, that's for sure.
3: Some of the etchings in some of those pictures, too, are eerily similar in style to some of the, the carvings you see at Gobekli Tepe on some of the columns. Yeah. And they're yeah, both, which I, and they're I both that
2: too. buried. Yeah, which, which is very strange. And, of course, you know, you, you kind of come full circle, too, and, and you can think about the, the black hat beans because I was, although I couldn't find one, I, I was told that there were uh, at least a couple of the Moai on the island that at one point it had uh, solid black eyes where the eye placements were. And, you know, if you go to, uh, look at some of the images from Quebec with Tepe, you'll probably run into Urfa man. And uh, Urfa man is this, uh, human, uh, you know, this male figure statue that they found at Quebec with Tepe, somewhere probably between 10 and 12,000 years old. And uh, it has solid obsidian eyes. You know, they took the time to, to carve solid black eyes for this thing. And that's a weird statue. I, I haven't been to Quebec but uh, I've talked to a number of people there, even archaeologists, who say that Urfa man is just something kind of unsettling and, and yeah. weird about it. Yeah, he's pretty creepy. In front of he's pretty yeah, creepy Rob, looking. Yeah, Robert In fact, Robert Schock, I was talking to him about it. He said, yeah, I said, there's there's something unsettling about that thing. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we. It reminds me of Robert Schock talking about you know maybe there's some similarities between Göbekli Tepe and and Easter Island, and we want to we want to have him on it eventually too. His 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 chat was also fascinating at Paradigm there.
2: Oh yeah, he's a great guy, and he's been to Easter Island of course a number of times too. So, so, so I
3: figure you- both. Uh, <coughs> I figure they're both way older, and they just buried just from natural causes, and that's from like. Some civilization lost way before our time. You think so? Yeah, that's my theory. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> put, it <in> the <laughs> put it in the book. Put it in the book. Put it in the book. We don't have a book yet, but we're gonna start one now. That's our first prediction.
2: Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, an amazing place. You know, if you guys ever get a chance at Easter Island, it definitely should be on your bucket list if you're interested in these kind of things because it's just uh, it's incredible.
3: How are the, is there any beaches or anything there I can sell to my wife?
2: Oh, yeah, there's beaches there, sure. Perfect. It's it's an island, so, you know, (laughs) you're not going far before you hit the water. (laughs) Perfect.
4: So do you have any plans to go to Gobekli?
2: Um, I I definitely want to, but it's probably not going to happen next year because I've got a lot of other travel that I'm I'm lining up and some other projects, and, you know, you were – you were mentioning, Graham, about this whole, you know, boots on the ground, as, as our friend Chase is fond of saying. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I try to do. I, you know, don't get as much writing as I'd like to done because, frankly, I spend a lot of time in the field and actually, you know, going to the sites and interacting with people. And, and you know, that's, uh, that's always been my preferred approach. I, I, I try to take a very journalistic approach to a lot of these things. Um and, and stay very, you know, open-minded about the possibilities to explain some of this weird phenomena that goes on in the world. And, uh, you know, my early influences were people like John Keel, Jacques Vallée, <laughs> excuse me, people who had a, a very, <clears throat> uh, you know, kind of holistic view of all of these uh, weird events and looked at, tried to look at it from a lot of different angles. And I do the same thing, but I, I feel the necessity to actually go out and, and investigate and, you know, meet with witnesses and, um, you know, that's, that's really, that's really what fulfills me. You know, that's one of the reasons I didn't write for a very long time was because I, I was just so, I busy traveling and, and doing these things, but, uh, but I, I do enjoy writing and it's been nice to, you know, get the books out and, and be able to meet more people in the field and interact with more people, um. You know. You know, guys like you that that come to the events and so
3: forth. Isn't Gobekli Tepe in Turkey? Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know about going to Turkey. <laughs> yes, it is. Isn't Tur- I think Turkey? You know, Turkey's the next uh, the next troubles for that pipeline. Or I don't know. I've heard some conspiracy people talking about Turkey yeah, quite a bit. It could anyway, be.
4: Yeah, the railway. Yeah, they yeah. say watch Turkey. I know,
2: it it the, could be it's the transit. Be the next place is, to go. Yeah, yeah. the
3: yeah,
2: the whole. Yeah, that's
3: right. China's right. super fast right. freight, right? Freight train.
4: Yeah, that's that's what I love about going to those conferences too—is meeting guys like yourself, and and how um, you know just interacting with uh, with you guys, and and it's so uh, you know we appreciate you guys when you're when you can be uh, real open and chat with everybody, and yeah, it's uh, it means it means a lot. So have you always had such an open mind then, David? I mean, you've got, you've been learning so much about all these different spiritual traditions too. Like, has, has it all, have you always been like that or?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I was kind of the black sheep of the family and uh, I grew up in a rural area of North Carolina. <clears throat> and there was, you know, this, I always tell people, you know, this, this stuff, it finds you as much as you find it. And uh, I can remember, you know, in the 70s being interested in in these things. And there really, you know, there was no bookstore in town. You know, at that point there was nothing really on television. I had found a couple of things, you know, in, in like a, a pharmacy bookstore. And I remember finding Cherries of the Gods when it came out, for instance. And, uh, you know, a few things like that. And, and of course, uh, in the mid-70s, In Search Of came along, which was just, you know, mind expanding for me, but the the weird story or the synchronistic story that I have from when I was young was that, uh, you know, living kind of literally in, in this little country town, uh, these people came and built a house, you know, just a couple lots over from us. And when I went over and, and, you know, met them and started talking to them, it was an elderly couple and lo and behold, this woman turns out to be a spiritualist. Now, she was probably the only spiritualist in that half of North Carolina at the time, (laughs) you know. And I just, you know, I was like, well, you know, what's a spiritualist? So, you know, all these questions, and I started talking to her. So I I started, you know, after school a lot of days, we'd go over and chat with this woman and and ask her all these questions. And then, of course, one day I I go over to visit her, and she's reading Fate magazine. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, what is this? And I've never seen it before. And... You know, I pick it up, and I'm looking through it, and, you know, of course, she she tells me to drop by and visit the next day, and when I did, she presents me with this huge box with with several years of Fate magazine, and she says, you know, I don't think I need these anymore. Why don't you take them? Well, there you go. So, you know, my my joke to people is that, you know, very mysteriously, I was too ill to go to school for the next week or so. (laughs) And, man, I oh, my God, I can remember just barricading in my room and just reading this. And, you know, the whole world opened suddenly because I thought, my God, you know, here's people researching Bigfoot and UFOs and, you know, haunted castles. And, you know, it's, I think I wrote, for, wrote away for every damn thing in the back of the magazine that you could get. You know, I just really started plugging into this world. And I thought, geez, man. And it, it's, and I've never been the same since. You know, um, as far as the spiritual stuff, you know I, I was always very interested in and open to that too and kind of some of the same things happened, you know when i as i was growing up i started meeting people who were practicing different traditions and you know, i started learning from different people and uh it, it, you you get into the flow of of life it's like joseph campbell says you know you follow your bliss and everything else falls into place around it mm-hmm. and that's exactly what i've always tried to follow and it's always worked for me and you know following those things i always found myself in these these uh, uh synchronistic moments you know where the right person would come along and i'd meet someone and you know i'd i'd, I'd meet someone who'd say you know you got to come to this party tonight there's going to be this you know shaman from such and such over there and you know just the people i've met and the things i've encountered um, you know, it's constantly been like that. And and it's interesting because when I was young, I initially thought that there were sort of two separate things here. One, the whole uh, paranormal field, and, and I use that term very broadly. And, and two, the spiritual side of things with the shamanic traditions and all that. But it really, you know, they, they melded together very quickly and very easily for me. And I realized that you now a lot of these tribal guys and alternative thinkers, they're they're looking at this phenomenon differently because it's part of their culture. And, and you know, they're not... To the idea of it They haven't been uh, Steamrolled by the the, You know The mass media Or the scientific um, You know Dogma that says No this can't be real So It's it's always kept me Very open minded And my approach Has always been uh, That way as a result
4: So besides Besides meeting Atulpa Anything Anything else uh, Strange Like as far as like pretty hardcore paranormal stuff like UFO sightings or anything like that?
2: I had a lot of weird experiences, to tell you the truth. And, uh, you know, slowly over time, I'll let a few of them out there. Uh, There is one in the new book, in in Strange Intruders, and that is that I saw a grinning man. Now, do you guys know what what the grinning man is? I don't
3: think I do. I don't. I'm just learning... As we speak,
2: <laughs> and he is fast I, on that Google. Isn't I <laughs> mean, besides,
4: besides being a man that's grinning, um, tell us more.
2: Well, the original story came from uh, well, another one of the creepy one. Ah, oh. yeah, it's another creepy one. Uh, in, um, in New Jersey, there was a, a flap of UFO sightings, and these two boys spotted this bizarre figure as they were walking home one night. And uh, it was very tall. He was wearing what was described as a green jumpsuit with a bright silver belt, and he had this just bizarrely large grin Like the on Joker, his face. it sounds like and the just, Joker. I like the Joker, it's very unsettling. So uh, what happened for me was that I was uh, I was driving with this friend of mine in uh, North Carolina, and we were on this, this very rural road. It was, you know, a farmhouse maybe every, you know, quite a few miles between each one. Uh, But for the most part, you would come to these long stretches where there would be nothing, uh, just woods, you know, dense woods. So we're driving along, and my friend's name was Tom. He was driving the car. And Tom, uh, you know, he he always had mixed feelings about hanging out with me because he he swore that whenever he was hanging out with me that weird things were going to happen. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes you get this interesting dynamic that's created by certain people you know um hanging around together doing things together and that did seem to be the case when tom and i were doing things you know just odd unusual things tended to happen Hmm. so we're driving down this country road we come along uh the stretch and there's this curve that comes up and and ahead of us on the right hand side uh we see a figure standing just off the road And, of course, you know, we're we're chatting and we're thinking, this is really bizarre. Why why would a person be way out here? And and what is this guy doing? (laughs) So as we approached this man, it was one of those moments where it it seemed like time slowed down. and, And it seemed like we were going very slowly by this guy. And since he was on my side, I'm kind of locked on watching him as we pass by. I'm looking, you know, first out the windshield and then out the side window. And this man is probably, you know, around six feet tall. He's wearing what appears to be a top hat, uh, a long, dark coat that's kind of... His attire looks reminds me of something Victorian. Uh, he has one... His, his right hand is up underneath his chin, and he's sort of rubbing his fingers together. <laughs> and he has this impossibly large mm-hmm. grin. And, and my response was the same thing. You said, Graham, I thought, my God, it's just the freaking Joker. You know, it, it's, it's this distorted uh, smile. And, you know, beneath the coat, there appears to be this silver belt. You can't really see anything else. I can't see his other hand, which is he's holding straight down at his side. Um, and as we pass him, and, and that weird moment happens where things are moving slow, uh, just as we get past him where I can't see out the side window now, I kind of whipped my head around really quick to look out the back windshield. And, and you know, the, the second or two it took me to do that, this guy had relocated himself. He's now in the center of the road staring at us. Wow. As we pull away from him. Yep. And, you know, of course, I, I'm immediately, you know, yelling at Tom to stop the car, turn around. I want to see what this is about. And, you know, his reaction is, hell no, I'm not stopping <laughs> the car. This is some psycho. You know, it's probably, it's like some nut job. his watched fight He's going to think too much. He's going to try to kill. You know, this whole debate rages for, uh, you know, a moment or two. I finally convinced him, I oh, don't Look, just turn the car around. Well, just go back. I just want to see if he's still there, you know, or, or you know, just... Uh, finally, I get Tom, you know, taught him to turn around. He, he hangs a good turn. He goes back to the spot. We creep back around that area. The guy's nowhere in sight. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, as soon as we got close enough, I jumped out of the car. which really drove Tom mad. He's yelling and screaming, he's going to leave me. i better got to get back in the car. But I had to look around. I had to see, you know. And uh, there, there's... Really, there's, there's nowhere this guy could have went. The woods are very dense, and was, especially someone dressed like that is not going to pick their way through the trees very easily. There's no sign that he was there other than some of the, the uh, weeds being mashed down a little bit where he was standing, and there's just nothing else. So, you know, that was, uh, that was a really bizarre incident. Again, it's one of those things that it, it's creepy but subtle at the same time. And, and that makes it almost, you know, more unnerving. <clears throat> and, and Tom so saw it, the it, same thing? Yeah, oh, yeah, he saw it. <laughs> hmm. yeah, yeah, his description was exactly the same afterwards. And, uh, you know, we, later on, uh, there, was, um, and there was a storm that night, for instance. There was uh, uh, some UFO sightings in the area and you know some other strange things the house next door to tom's was hit by lightning and you know just some bizarre things and i, I later you know it's one of those things that I've, I've went back to a number of times and tried to dig more and find more information and years later when i talked to john keel about it he, he had reported uh, quite a number of grinning men and uh you know keel told me he said "You just he says you just have to, to dig more because i guarantee you'll find more ufo sightings." and uh he was right you know when, when i went back even a, a few years later and addressed it again and, and started looking at the time frame and expanding the search out a little bit there were a number of ufo sightings in that area and uh you know there were a few other weird incidents that i found there was a woman who saw a uh what she described as as a hobo clown running across the road and I thought, wow, that's kind of curious because that sounds very similar to, you know, the type of thing we're looking at here with these grinning men hmm. and, uh, they're just bizarre figures. They show up, you know, there's actually quite a few reports of them, uh, people that have encountered them and, and they, they seem to be humanoid, but they don't quite act, you know, right either. And, and there's some things that are disor- distorted by like this, uh, incredibly large grin that they display
3: hence the the name maybe just a happy guy (laughs) in the middle (laughs) of nowhere yeah in the middle (laughs) of nowhere um so in all your research and everything you're you're looking into quite a bit of spooky shit so um what does it take to scare david weatherly (laughs) i
2: don't know if i've ever been asked that question i i don't i don't know if i can answer it at this point um that's it really scare me? I'm not sure.
3: Nothing. That. Nothing yet, though.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nothing yet, I guess.
3: <laughs> Chuck Norris.
2: You know, I, I've been in a lot of. Uh, I've been in a lot of situations where, you know, people became frightened over something going on in an investigation, and I tend to be the guy that's, you know, running to the point that they're all running from because I want <laughs> Yeah, I want to find out what this
4: is and and just the evidence and so forth. So, <laughs> so speaking of of uh, experiences and stuff like that and different parallel sort of realities, what's your have you researched psychedelics at all or or have you do you uh, what's your view on the consciousness expansion of psychedelics?
2: Wow, that's a wide open question. <laughs> you know, there's uh. Yeah, we, we could talk in a whole nother hour and a half about that. Um, you know, I think that when you go down that road, the issue is that a lot of people have um, abused it because it became sort of a part of pop culture, and, uh, you know, people were using it as an escape. When you go back to the shamanic traditions, a lot of the tribal cultures that use it, it it's really all part of a, a larger process that helps people reach an altered state. So you'll get things, you know, for instance, um, a good example of what I'm talking about, the Huichol Indians, uh, who, you know, practice um, a lot of things that revolve around the use of peyote. But really, you know, the the practitioners didn't all take peyote because there's a whole altered state that arises from the very process of going through the ritual of gathering the pain and you know uh, getting to the point of using it and so forth and I, I find the same thing with other cultures uh, around the world that I've experienced that uh, you know sometimes the whole point is the, ritual? the transformative yeah. process of the ritual yeah. itself and really in a lot of uh, cultures it becomes less about the substance and And more about the, the ritual, and truth be told, there are a lot of ways to this enter the shamanic altered state that don 't involve uh, hallucinogens mm-hmm. they are an avenue, but then you 've got things you know like ritual of drumming and, and dancing and uh, other ways to enter that trance state mm-hmm. so in a nutshell that's I guess that 's my answer for that i I think that you know the potential is mind-boggling. And, you know, if if more people would allow just that transformative process to come into their lives to expand their awareness, however they need to do it, whether it's through prayer or meditation or, or you know, some kind of ritual or whatever it takes, I think we'd be living in a much more balanced world.
4: Yeah, I totally agree.
3: Fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I see. Oh, go ahead, Dave.
2: Oh, you guys have been pretty quiet. I, I hope that I've uh, kept your interest tonight.
3: <laughs> oh no, a hundred percent. I'm just kind of uh, taken aback and taking it all in. If, the, if there's one thing, uh, one thing for sure, you're definitely uh, a great storyteller, and it must be. Uh, it, you know, it'd be great to to be out sitting around the campfire one day and just listening to you tell tell stories.
4: Yeah. The other thing is, we like to. I like to. like let you talk to and and not uh try not to interrupt your uh you know your 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 thoughts and your stories and stuff like that I mean it's been it's been fascinating uh talking with you really and you know I'm I'm gonna read uh read your books when that when that next one comes out for sure and uh yeah it's just it's just mind-blowing stuff
2: yeah, and it's it's all, you know, uh, endlessly exciting to me. I mean, I've been intrigued about, you know, with this stuff since I was a kid, and, and it just, uh, my enthusiasm for it doesn't taper off, and at least it, it really doesn't.
4: And you have all these different things coming up. You mentioned you've got a lot of different projects. What what are some of those coming up?
2: Yeah, it's, it's going to be, 2014 is going to be pretty exciting, I think. I, I'm going to stay quiet for the most part on it, and uh, I'll start slipping stuff out, um, you know, as... Uh, as it all develops, I, I do have a few events already booked for the first part of next year. My, my schedule just fills up so quickly. Um, a couple that come to mind, I will be at the Grey Ghost Paracon in San Francisco. Um, and that is on board the Hornet. Uh, the and, and it's a benefit for the ship, which is a haunted ship. Uh, my buddy bill murphy will be on there cool. actually uh, along with me at the event uh, so there'll probably be some some talk about some of the tulpa topic um and maybe i'll send in... like
3: tulpa <laughs> 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 that was in uh
2: that was in late february and then what about um, uh, the, the 21st Okay. and then i will be in uh, i will be speaking in london in april uh, there's a tentative event at St. Augustine, Florida, and uh, the dates haven't been set for that yet. It's probably late March, and uh, lots of other stuff. So it's, it's like I said, it's going to be a big year.
4: Are you going back to the UFO Congress this year?
2: Not. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not speaking at it. I'm not sure if I'll be there or not. It depends on my travel schedule.
4: Yeah, it might, it uh, might uh, conflict with the Gregos Paracon there a little bit.
2: Yeah, I can't remember when they, because they've moved that, I think, again. Yeah. It might be the weekend before or something, but, um, you know, I'll be in, uh, I'll be doing some international travel during part of that, too, so I might not even be in the country.
3: Um, where can people track you down? Uh, um, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all all the... Oh,
2: yeah, definitely. I've got all that stuff. Uh, I've got a blog at twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. That is T-W-O-C-R-O-W-S, blogspot.com. You'll find a, a badge on that for my Facebook. People are welcome to friendly on Facebook. Um, you can purchase the books at leprechaunpress.com. And let's see, what else? I do have a Twitter feed. It's Two Crows Para. And, uh, yeah, check those links out. Like I said, the, the blog and the Facebook page are a good place to keep up with, you know, my... Uh, latest projects and uh, guest appearances i make and so forth and if people have some kind of intriguing story they want to tell me about you're welcome to email me you can reach me at two at gmail.com. the only thing that i ask is that you're patient with me because of my my schedule and my travel it, it often takes me a while to get back to people but i, I do answer emails
3: all right david yeah, here's hoping uh, we haven't created any Talpa black eye kids that are going to show up at the studio here. Um,
2: well, if we have, they're showing up there, not at my house. That's right.
3: Uh, it might be too cold for uh, yeah, Talpas here. They might freeze in the igloo. I
4: don't know.
3: But maybe that's how they get you because it's so fucking cold out that you can't not let a kid in if it's minus 30. And then, that's, right. that's right.
2: They're going to tell you they're cold and they want to come in. Yeah,
4: well, thanks again for the chat, David. It's, it was great, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again in the in the future. And good
3: luck in in all your travels. If any kids show up at my door now in the winter this cold, and I can't see their face, I'm just gonna kick them. <laughs> 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 as long as they're not my own. <laughs>
2: Well, hey, it's been a pleasure being on with
3: you guys. Yeah, it's been great, uh, Dave. We're definitely looking forward to the next book. We'll make sure uh, we link to everything uh, in the show notes, where to get your books and, and all that stuff. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again when, when your new book comes out. Sounds
2: good, man. I
3: look forward to it. All right. Okay, Dave. Uh, Merry Christmas.
2: Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Take care.
4: A conversation with david weatherly what'd you think buddy
3: great chat uh great stories as always i could have sat here and listened to him all night i'm sure hopefully uh nobody was in any place too spooky when some of them were going on
4: yeah like you were saying i had the whole thing pictured in my head right this whole thing in Tibet, and and his little meeting with with the,
3: <laughs> yeah he the can monks. really he can really put you in the place when he's telling his stories and you can find him like he said over there at two crows paranormal and We'll have a link to that, and of course, all his books and and everything else in the show notes and uh it was a great chat, and we'd definitely like to thank him for coming on,
4: yeah, and I meant to mention he's also been on a lot of t v shows and radio shows too, so you can find him in all different forms on the internet. I meant to ask him about uh he was in Watchers Six with l a marzuli, and uh yeah, we just didn't have a chance to uh, to talk to him about that.
3: Yeah, but I'm sure we'll get to it next time because uh, we'll have him on when the, when his new book pops out for sure. If he if he wants to come back and 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 regale us a little more and some campfire tales.
4: Yeah, for sure.
3: And I definitely recommend like the Black Eyed Kids book is great. Like I say, it's their short ten page chapters, and you can kind of chip away at it and give yourself a little spook before bed if that's what floats your boat. <laughs>
4: So we got lots of guests coming on, and uh after in the new year here January February, lots of different options um,
3: yeah it's starting our first full year at uh, Gra right,
4: yeah, we're just over seven months now, right
3: yeah, well, yeah, it's actually pretty well the anniversary of the opening of the website is is this saturday yeah right the twenty first the uh, yeah. website's a year old, and the podcast is may twenty first how it's changed
4: already, eh crazy,
3: yeah. yeah. So, growing machine.
4: So if you want to uh, get a hold of us, you can email at us at uh, info at grimerica.
3: There's no info at grimerica.com. <laughs> Is there not There's anymore? feedback at grimerica.ca <laughs> and uh, Darren at grimerica.com.
4: And Graham at grimerica.com. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, at Grimerica, and uh, Facebook is Grimerica as well. Like us. uh, Yeah, like us on Facebook. Write us a review. We haven't given a call out for reviews in a while, but iTunes reviews are are a big help. So if you can, go write us a review and, and throw some Grimerica in somebody's face for Christmas.
4: Thanks again to David Weatherly.
3: Yeah, and thanks to RPJ for coming on as well. Um, As always, guys, we'll have links to all these guys' uh, stuff we talked about and all their books and and everything else, Uh, all the music you heard. In the show notes. In the show notes.
4: All right, buddy. Have a good Christmas.
3: Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys.
0: suspended in a sunbeam the earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light.